Hello, this is Dane Riley. Uh, I guess I should explain what's going on, first of all. Um, so this is going to be uh, me doing a reading of my book, uh, which I recently released on Kindle. It's called, at first I called it uh, The Curtain in the Corner. And I've recently just changed it to behind the curtain in the corner. Um, it's still, it's fairly much finished. It's still a little bit of a work in progress. That's why I haven't promoted it a lot and pushed it out there just yet. I've just been uh, putting it out there for uh, the podcast and horror groups that I've I'm a part of, and um, yeah, I'm a new, uh, this is my first book I've written, um, it's, uh, I'm an aspiring writer, I guess, and um, this is uh, part of me getting it out there more, um, so what I'm going to be doing is an uh two chapters a week uh, as an audiobook and I was talking to my buddies from Cabal Corner on the uh, messenger and uh, Cornelius was suggested putting it on the podcast feed because I was going to put it on a podcast feed myself um, it's something that uh, you know there's a good system there already and it's something people could you know just click once or twice on and they could have it there which uh, I think in this day and age it's what uh, people expect a bit you know it's hard to get through to people but you know I've got to say I'm a little bit that way myself so I'm not being uh, too condescending about it it's uh, all this, we've all got information overload and short attention spans to an extent. Uh, me personally, I try not to watch much television. Um, so that's how I get my time to do uh, my writing. Uh, anyway, I'm waffling on a bit. Let me just say um, this first part. If you want to skip over it, feel free. Um, and <clears throat> just going to talk a little bit more and get straight into the first chapter. Um, now, uh, there's a author's note and the dedication in the ebook, which uh, I've already said is on Kindle, selling it for five dollars US, and for my friends in Australia. Uh, the conversion rate is about six dollars seventy. Um, yeah, <clears throat> and I I've tried to calculate that I've put I've done uh, five drafts when and when I say a draft it doesn't necessarily mean rewriting the whole thing. If something I'm happy with, you know, I'll leave it. But I, I've calculated. I think I've done over. 300 hours work on this so I think that's a 
fair price. Um, but I understand a lot of people aren't willing to pay that um, with someone who's an untested author. Um, and, uh, you know, this is all part of a process of learning for me. Uh, part of the reason I want to do this is to get it out there more and um, hopefully I could get some ideas, some feedback, uh, tell me, just people tell me, can tell me what they think, you know, because um, when you're writing, you're doing it in a void, sort of alone. It's hard to gauge uh, something that you've put a lot of work into and that you feel close to, if you know what I mean. Um, it's good to get a outside perspective, I guess. Um, so I'm uh, treating this as just a bonus um, for people that have bought the book or might be interested in buying the book. Um, and I just want to say I've had a go at it already. Um, as you know, I could... This is obviously a uh, an amateur audio book, um, and I realise my voice is not the most melodious thing in the world, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, hopefully, one day, uh, if it's worth doing, I'll get it done properly. Maybe by a uh, an actor that does that sort of thing. Um, now, <clears throat> I'm just going to talk a bit more. Uh, I wrote this because of um, I went through a bit of a personal um, tragedy with losing my dad a few years ago, and I was just sort of pulling myself back up uh, off the floor, and uh, life was going a bit better but I just wanted to do something to prove to myself uh, I could do it and something I've always wanted to do to write a book and you know so in the dedication which uh, is in the book I dedicate it to my dad and also thank a few people who have been supportive uh, I'm not going to rehash it here I'm going to try and get straight into chapter one soon uh, but I just want to thank uh, Jeremy Sanjiakamo, better known as Slagoth, amongst his podcast buddies, for uh, helping me. He he was an inspiration. Uh, just by doing what he does, uh, I could see with him that you know he he enjoys his artwork and uh, it's something that's brought him some happiness. Um, he was also supportive of me and just that's just the sort of guy he is he didn't do a whole lot of things he just said hey check out this check this out check that out this podcast about writing um and just being a a good friend but the thing was that i didn't know him that well you know we just rapped on facebook and talked about this and that and the things we're interested in so uh, 
thanks to Slagoth and he caused he did the cover artwork um, for the book and um, we just added a bit more flavour and horror lighting through a art app anyway uh, gonna get into the book now so as for the author's note I'm not going to read the whole thing but um just want to say it's a it's a horror story but it's the first half of it is a bit of a might read a bit more like a mystery um and i recommend the best way to enjoy it is to just go from uh you know the first page onwards and don't jump forward and also i ask you that once you it's it's a story in two halves um maybe a two-act structure if you want to put it that way uh, once you find out basically what's behind the curtain um i just like to ask you uh, if you recommend it to anyone or if you're on the internet just uh don't tell, don't give the secret away. Just keep it spoiler free, and that's the best way to enjoy the story. So again, uh, thanks to uh, my buddies at Cabal Corner um, for putting this out there. I think it'll get um, get me some more people to check out my stuff and then maybe in the future uh if my book takes off it might bring more people to cabal corner yeah right um and thanks to jeff barton for he said he's going to upload it for me and um just another quick note is that uh rereading my story it's a strange thing that um I'm happy with all of it, um, <clears throat> except for I wasn't quite happy with the first chapter, so I've just done a little rewrite on that, and um, so that will be a slightly different from the the book that's on Kindle now. Um, so the goal with this is uh, to have it polished up. In as best as I can by the end of the year I'm going to enter it into a competition um, and the next thing on my list is to actually get a, a proper editor to look at it for me and give me some advice okay behind the curtain in the corner Chapter 1 A soft blue light throbs against the darkness in a slow rhythm. As he peers through this pulsing luminous blur, the man's eyes begin to focus. With each gentle pulse his sight becomes clearer, and the light gains more definition, till he is staring up at a dark ceiling, which the light gently glides across. He is lying on a cold hard floor on his back in a silent dark corridor. Thoughts come at a slow pace and he wonders how long he had been lying there. 
He feels as though getting up off the floor is beyond his capability. He feels disconnected, as though he wants to start a car but has forgotten where the ignition is. This strangely behaved light is beckoning him to stand up. He wants to see where it is coming from. He stands up using the wall and for a moment he props himself upright with his right hand and gains his breath, noticing that his legs feel sore and stiff. To his left is a metal railing and the glow of the blue light is emanating from somewhere beneath it. So he shuffles over to it and latches onto the railing, feeling unsteady on his, his feet. Over the banister he can see that the rail winds downwards and borders an expansive spiral walkway. Looking up, he sees the walkway continues way up high, and it seems to be in the centre of a large tower. At the bottom of the tower, the blue light is very bright. Squinting to try and see through the glare, he can't make out where the exact source of the light is, only a bright cloud of diffuse blue light. There's a metallic clanging noise down there, but he doesn't see anything to accompany the sound. Intrigued by the blue light, he starts down the ramp at an even pace leaning on the rail because he feels unusually stiff. He finds that his shoes are sticky on the floor. He thinks, what is this place? A low-pitched sound echoes throughout the tower. He isn't sure if it comes from below or above. There is something alien about it, and he stops and listens. Muffled by echoes, it is indiscernible but as it fades out he can detect the character of rage within this drone. As he descends he sees that branching off from the spiral there are many doorways with small glass window panes in them. His high school science teacher had once called those glass panes in the school's doors a panoptical design, whatever that meant. He had told the class that they were not just there to be looked through. Their actual purpose was more psychological. It was to impose the constant threat of someone, like the principal, Mr. Serper, being able to look through them at any time. Below in the tower there's a long painful mo moan. Painful moan. It sends a shiver through him. Most rooms are too dark to see anything through the small window. In one dim room... He sees this dark shape moving around in between thick columns of black shadow. He isn't sure what he is looking at, and he isn't sure he wants to know, so he shuffles on, his sticky shoes making suction noises. One shoe is stickier than the other, which gives his slow descending march a quirky, uneven sound. Another room is brightly lit, and is framed with packed bookshelves, floor to ceiling. An old woman with glasses and her silver hair up in a bun is putting away books. She freezes when he stops at the door to look in at her and she doesn't meet his gaze. She holds a large leather-bound black book with no text on its cover. He calls out to her but she ignores him so he limps on. The drone of a car passing by comes from deeper down in the tower. 
The blue light is getting brighter now and pulsing faster. It is coming at him in waves that seem to wind their way up the spiral. He passes more dark rooms and comes to one that's brightly lit and is projecting a shaft of white light out of its window. Muted voices and squeals compel him to peep through the window. There's a man on a bed being held down by a black sheet. It is fastened so tight he can almost make out his features and he looks somewhat familiar. The man is thrashing and lashing out but the sheet holds him firmly in place. It conforms to his contours tightly and looks like it is made of a shiny rubber. Surrounding him in a semicircle are overbearing silhouettes with big shoulders and bulbous heads. A bright light backlights them so that they are surrounded by a blinding glare. He isn't sure if his eyes are deceiving him or if it is because of the blinding light and the fact that the window pane is blurred by grime, but these people-like shapes seem to have no faces. They chitter and mumble in some foreign garble as they grab at and molest the man under the black sheet. Standing in the middle is a taller skinny beam that has a swirl of shadow surrounding its head. To one side a spiky-headed short beam is skewering a large sharp spike into the man's hand. Under the sheet the man's face is writhing with agony and it looks like he is trying to scream but there is no sound. A being that seems to be shrouded in wispy shadows is preparing what looks like a cylindrical metal vice. It puts it on the man's lower leg. It squeaks, screws and cogs turn and it begins to tighten around the leg. There's a loud snapping sound as the device breaks his leg. His body convulses up and down under the sheet. A wave of inhuman murmurs spreads amongst them, and they all crowd over the man and hold him down at the behest of the tall one, who seems to be the leader. He barks orders at them and then picks up a long pointy spike and begins to impale the man in the stomach. He keeps thrusting the spike further and further into the poor soul. The man's head is thrashing back and forth rapidly under the sheet with an impossible vigour. He recoils from this scene of horror and backs away from the glass window pane in the door, turns and continues downwards. From somewhere below he can hear some footsteps, so he looks over the railing. Momentarily he catches a glimpse of something disappearing into the blue light and he stares down at the spot where it was but there is only blue fog swirling in its wake. Moving further along, down past a few more dark rooms he comes to one that projects the amber flicker of fire and radiates heat. The heat intensifies as he ambles up closer to the door. Inside the room, a being in a dark cloak is surrounded by fire and is standing on a raised platform. His back is facing the window. He holds an upside-down cross raised above his head and is yelling. Surrounding the platform is a furnace of raging flames and smoke. 
The room seems to stretch on into a black abyss. His gravelly voice seems to boom and echo as if projected into a bottomless pit. I heard the agonised cries of long-gone souls milling throughout the lesser sinkholes of the furnace. Peripheral entities hanging on by their will alone. The cockroaches are coming home to the dungeons. Death to the masters. Come down from thy tower. Drinketh of my fetid wine. The man shakes his head at this and moves on further down the spiral. The blue light is getting brighter and pulsing faster now and he stops looking into the rooms that he is passing by. He doesn't want to. Using the rail to bolster his balance he quickens his pace. Two people are having a conversation in one of the rooms he is passing. He's doing well considering. He should come out of it soon. What about the other one? It's not looking good. Up ahead, the spiral descends into the blue haze. Swirls of fog rhythmically pulse with the blue light. The light doesn't pulse in unison throughout the cloud. It moves randomly back and forth between the billowing wisps of fog like an indecipherable code. He wanders down into the fog till it envelops him. Now there is no rail to lean on and the floor no longer slants downwards, it is level. The pulsing blue light seems to be getting brighter as he continues forward, closer to the light source. A faint rustling sound comes from his right. He looks but he can't see anything through the thick blue haze of fog. A crunching sound comes from his left side. Again he looks but can't see anything. Swiveling his neck, he scans all around him. He feels like he is being watched. Some footsteps in front of him. He cautiously walks forward and finds there is nothing where the sound came from, but there is an empty swirl of fog suggesting that something had just moved through that space. He feels a pang of apprehension and pauses. It is circling him. The sound of breathing comes from directly behind him. Over his shoulder he sees there is an empty hole within the fog. Something is there but he can't see it. He can see the fog flowing around something but can't make it out. He wants to scream but his lungs are breathless, inert. He lurches forward, desperately trying to flee but his feet are moving slow, sticking to the floor as though it is covered in glue. He focuses on the source of the blue light further up in front of him and continues towards it. After a few more frenzied sticky strides he comes upon a wide doorway. It is framed by bright shafts of blue light that flood out of all of the gaps around its edges and between the doors which are ajar. He flees through them and enters the light. Abruptly he is standing on the corner pavement of the intersection of two busy roads, leaning against a pole with his right hand. It's night time and there's a deafening barrage of cars on the main road, roaring past him in both directions. 
Through a split second break in the flow of headlights and traffic, he thought he saw something dark on the other side of the road, but when he looks again it is gone. A strange feeling has a hold of him, as if he is outside of himself watching all of this from a distance. Now he is sure there is something on the other side of the road, though he can't quite make it out as the traffic passing by is so heavy that he only sees it in glimpses. There is a quick gap in the traffic and he gets a momentary look at it. All he can see is the outline of someone standing on the other side of the road, dark and featureless, almost like a shadow. Then the traffic flits in front of it again and he sees in the next break in traffic it has disappeared. As he stands at the edge of this crossroads, he looks around and is confronted by a cacophony of engine sounds and beeping horns and the headlights of the cars are blinding. There is no sign of the shape on the other side of the road. He wants to cross the road and go and have a look. For some reason he wants to know who was over there. There is that blue light again, throbbing on the other side of the road and being intermittently cut by the speeding traffic. He holds up his hand to try and block the blinding headlights to see it better, but it doesn't help much. Though he sees enough to realise the blue light is shining down at the end of a gloomy tunnel, which the side road he is standing on feeds into. A dark shape outlined by the blue light is in the distance, coming down the tunnel towards him. It seems to have two big eyes. It careens onwards and they aren't eyes. It has two bright lights either side of it. It is a shiny black muscle car and it drives straight at him. For a split second his vision is filled by the blinding amber headlights and the deafening roar of the engine fills his ears. Time seems to stand still. The car is glistening in the night and he can make out all of its details except for the driver. He steps to his left out of the car's way. His foot finds no purchase and his ankle twists over the edge of the curb. He almost falls as he steps onto the road. There's a long break in the traffic, so he starts walking across. As he gets to the middle of the road, there's a sudden tug on his left leg. He looks down and sees that his foot is stuck. The black tar of the road has turned soft and gooey and his foot has sunk into it. As he realises he can't pull it out, he is gripped by panic. A car blares its horn as it blazes past him, almost hitting him, and he wheels his arms and tries to regain his balance. He stumbles forwards into the path of a car going the other direction, and it hits him at high speed, and he is thrown to the ground. Agony explodes throughout his body, and he begins screaming. A car runs over his leg, the engine sound deafening. He cries out and looks down. The leg is snapped and pouring out blood, the bone sticking out through the skin. The following car runs over his chest and arm and he hears the sounds of his bones crunching. The pain is unbearable, he can't breathe and is panicking. Another car runs over his leg and it sinks further down into the black road which has the look and viscosity of blackstrap molasses. As hard as he tries he cannot pull the leg free. 
It is heavy and encased in a thick layer of the soft black tar. A car from the other direction blares its horn and runs over his arm and squashes it. He looks at his arm in wide-eyed horror as the forearm is no longer there, just a nub of jagged bone and bloody loose flesh. A barrage of cars continue running him over and pushing him further down into the soft road, caving in his chest and cracking his ribs. He cannot breathe. His body is sinking deeper into the black tar. He cannot move. It envelops and covers his face and he can no longer see, hear or breathe. He struggles against the oppressive blackness with all of the strength of his being. He breaks free of his hold and begins to fall. In a silent void he glides down past dark rocky outcrops and boulders. He falls through the space between time, his world in slow motion, having gone through the black road and beyond, kicking his legs, wheeling his arms, and trying to scream a scream that won't come out.